Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Dyster. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, oh, and also watch the videos on YouTube and LinkedIn for seeing our bright, smiling faces as well. But this week, I have Peter Schaefer with me, and he is a communication expert that helps leaders and businesses understand and use their data effectively. Everything we could all learn how to use better because there's tons of data out there and he's going to help us figure all that part out. He knows great digital communication is a vital part of businesses and data operations. And he's just a great guy to have on the show. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks Brett for having me and uh, great to be with you today. Yes. Anytime. And my first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Mostly coffee. It's a great question. Oh, uh, yes. Coffee is the life. And do you have any favorite brands you like or you just stick to the normal stuff as usual? I'm kind of torn between Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. So I, I, I alternate pretty frequently between the two. But um, in terms of my actual home brew, it's, uh, it's Dunkin' Donuts. They actually have surprisingly some good coffee. And plus you're on the East Coast, right? So usually East Coast is exactly. really big on Dunkin' Donuts. Exactly. And can you, I gave a brief introduction, but can you give us a little bit more of an introduction about your expertise to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently uh, vice president of marketing and sales for the Prosper Group. And we do a lot of digital marketing for both corporations, but also for uh, political uh, candidates as well, and um, and do some work with different organizations around how to use data better, how to interpret the the statistics from social media in a way that can help you keep a campaign moving along and and keeping the campaign fresh. My background is both in research, market research, and also in the PR world. So the, I've worked for Weber Shanwick. I've worked for uh, Brunswick Group. I worked with a couple other agencies, Golan as well. But uh, a lot of the time, I've the, the data side I've worked is with Gallup, Poll, Harris Poll, some of the larger organizations that deal a lot in in these big data sets and are looking for trends in in different areas, especially around public opinion and, and what's going to be published by media organizations or what's going to be broadcast by you know different. Uh, different media outlets. So, uh, so that's, that's my background in a, in a nutshell. Gotcha. And I mean, there is a lot of data out there. So how can PR pros basically use this effectively because not every data is going to be good for them and some data is better for them. So how do they figure all that part out? There's no real great playbook right now, because as you mentioned, Brett, there's so much data out there and there's so many different sources of the data. Um, I, that's where I would start is number one, be very comfortable and be very aware of the sources of data that you are tapping into, especially when it's primary data. So for example, because there's so much data out there, if, if you aren't confident that it's from a reputable organization or an organization that has actually taken the time to think through the methodology on how to collect the data, on the how the schematics on how to interpret the data, 
it's probably not a good good source of data to use. The second is that, and I've noticed this a lot in in the agency world recently, is that a lot of the metrics that agencies come up with are oftentimes different than what's actually being measured within the client relationship themselves. And so anything that you can do to broker a deal with your client um, on data sharing so that, that you're able to, A, be more effective in interpreting the data, but but B, also using that data to be consistent with the way the internal cultures at your clients are, are and how they're using the data as well. I, I often find that there's a wall between what the agencies get and what the agencies have versus what the client gets and what the clients have. And sometimes they're telling two very different stories and you, you wind up being an arbiter to decide between the two. The third thing I'd say is that with the you know, in the, just the growing amount of data that there is, just be more curious about what you can do with some of that data. I think um, I call this the, the Excel spreadsheet syndrome is that if it doesn't fit in an Excel spreadsheet, then I'm not going to use the data. Oftentimes, some of the data that is actually the most valuable is unstructured and it won't necessarily fit into the nice box. So be a little bit more curious be a little bit more observant of of what some of these other data sets are, because I think in in a lot of ways, that's where the the real value is is starting to emerge for PR firms today. Gotcha. And is polling becoming a little bit more important? And also, I've heard before that sometimes people lie on polls. I think uh, the best example is uh, 2016, when they were trying to figure out who was going to win presidency, and it really did not go in their favor whatsoever in the polling numbers. So how do you get the best of polling when you know people may lie, not because they're trying to basically skew your data, just because they don't want people to find out that they like something or not. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great point, Brett. And I think there, there's been a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of soul-searching in the polling community around how do we make this better? How do we do better? And there have been some improvements. There, there are really three ways to to basically protect against bias or at least try to protect against this. Number one is really upfront and that's that's writing and, and creating better questions. Questions that are more conversational or things that that you know would, would be, I, I would say, more normal for somebody to hear. I think one of the things that that has been a real struggle for polling is that they've had all of these historical questions that have been really, really good in the past, and they don't want to disturb the trend line. So they use the question that was written in 1975 with a 2021 audience, and it just it just doesn't match times. And I think that's that's been a big problem. The second area is with so many people being online right now, what's called the sampling frame or who we survey is is really important, um, especially with um, you know public release information, meaning that. It, the, the data is designed to be out in the media. There's a lot of, of expertise in this area. This is where polling does actually have a lot of strength or the polling companies have a lot of strength is that they're able to create these sample frames that are representative or that are at least, you know, reducing the amount of bias. I mean, and you're, you're right. After 2016, they went back and took a look at the science and, and said, maybe we need to, to change this. The third thing, and this is where, you know, maybe the, the polling industry needs to shift a little bit is that they've been reliant on traditional media sources for coverage. So the major newspapers, the major networks and and things like that. And as you well know, 
a lot of people have left reading the the newspaper, have left, or they're they're reading it online, or they, they they're just not watching regular news anymore. So a lot of the value of those data points in media is it, it's just not there anymore. Um, so you have to just look for new media sources to be able to cover uh, the, the data and, and really find new things that are that are happening out in the environment. And I mean, even polling has is there for Twitter as well. Could you use like Twitter polls as well to help with, I guess, m- more of it, it's a great question. That's a yeah. And, and uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Brett. But, you know, I the the polling, these these simple, quick, quick polls. Um, are actually pretty effective in getting what I would call directional data, meaning that would give you a better sense of which direction to head or what directions are actually the most appropriate for for you to pursue as a PR professional, as a communications professional. I I wouldn't, if we were going to go into something more, maybe like crisis communication or some other area of PR that that really would need more solid numbers, I would probably say these, those quick polls are not as appropriate only because it can't they can't dig deeper into some of the sentiment or some of the motivation or the, the drivers that, that make people behave or make people feel in a certain way. So um, great for directional stuff, really, really good. Um, I think, as you well probably know, that the overall budget in after COVID went increased for market research and polling simply because everybody needed to get a gauge on what was happening. And um, so there's been continued uh, growth in budgets over the last 18 months Um, that may get cut back. But, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, that the the distribution of the way research is being done right now is, is different. And I there's more budget that's being spent on big data, probably about the same amount of budget being spent on polling. Um, and probably about the same is spent on market research as well. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, this even goes to basically, could the Twitter polls be like kind of a setup to launching your actual polls? Could it be like, oh, maybe we should figure out if people are interested in actually talking to us about this. Could this be most a, a small s- set of sediment? I'm not saying it's going to tell you everything about everybody what they're doing, but it could be a small subset of sediment and be like, maybe this is something we should actually look into. Could it be like a, like you said, directional or like a stepping stone to an actual full blown polling because it's yep. a lot less expensive to do it that way. It, it, you're, 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 you're spot on with that, Brett. And a lot of companies have been using these quick polls as a, a, a kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, this idea is good. We need to pursue it and we need to actually research it more extensively. You're right. I mean, it's a good barometer. One of the things that I've noticed also, especially with some of the, the PR agencies that I've worked in and, and also continue to work with, it used to be that we would send a poll to all two or 300 employees of the, of the firm or larger set. And that was what we used to test an idea. But now it's become so easy and so inexpensive to do it with the general public that it, you know, it, it, it give, it's giving you better results and it's also giving you better, maybe better data in regard to some of the other um, nuances of a particular issue, especially in a crisis situation. Um, I know that we had been working with a, a couple clients on some product recall work and because you're in it, you obviously experience it a different way. It hadn't really gotten out into the public that far. So some of that early data didn't signal that there was a real issue, a real problem. So sometimes it, it has to unfold a little bit. 
Um, but you're right. It, it is important to get that temperature read or that, you know, kind of finger in the wind and say, yeah, are we on to something? Is there something we need to be protecting against? Or is there something that we need to start preparing for that we just hadn't anticipated in our, our campaign? Gotcha. And then could even polling become more niche? Like, let's say if you want to know what business people are thinking, you figure out a way to use LinkedIn or something like that, where it becomes yeah. more social. Because sometimes when people look at polls, they're like, oh, I got to do another poll. I don't want to do this. This isn't very fun. Yeah. So is there a way of like niching it down? Because I feel like everything needs to be niched down nowadays because it works very effectively if you niche it into a specific data point or subset or whatever. No, it's a it's a it's an excellent point. And I think that the I mean, you bring up two kind of interesting subsets of that. Number one is it is much easier today and it will get easier as we go forward targeting specific audiences and getting feedback from those particular audiences. Um, whether you use LinkedIn, that's a great example. A lot of the uh, major social media platforms have polling capabilities. So you you can send out a poll and get something back real quick. It's Granted, it's not that scientific, but it is, I think, again, directional. So yeah, I think it's going to increase. The one thing that I, I have noticed though, and this is probably good news, bad news, is that we have a lot of people that are asking polling type questions without an appropriate scale to judge or to rate something on. And I'll, I'll use this example. I, I've seen a lot recently where, um, you know, on LinkedIn, where I get polls, where you only have maybe three or four options to select from. In regular polling, there would be a, a, a wider variety because you need to eliminate or you need to pull in those subsets. So I, writing the questions for those quick polls is is really important. And I think that in, in some of the cases, bad question leads to bad outcome. Good question leads to good outcome. But in, in some regards, asking a yes, no question on, uh, you know, something that's important, like, you know, would you buy X, yes or no? Um, it might be more complex. So the decision-making process might be more complex for business people than yes, no. So. Gotcha. And do you think, and we're talking about, we're talking about biases. Do you think having more anonymity for people to answer poll questions would help them become a little bit more relaxed in telling the truth? Because I feel like anonymity can help, but it also can hurt you at the same time. So where do you draw the line on that one? Because we want to get the most truthful answer, but we also understand if you, have too much data on the person, they're going to be like, I don't really want to talk. Yeah, that's a That's yeah. And, and, you know, that, that's a, the age old question of what we want to collect and what we don't. I don't have a really great answer for that. I, I will tell you that most people, well, I mean, I, I, most people, when they do get a poll from either a person that they know or an organization that they know, or on a platform like LinkedIn, that, that, most of them are pretty well intended in terms of the way they answer where we get into some really interesting kind of dynamics, or at least uh, maybe skewing the results is when the incentive for participating is out of whack with what we're trying to get. You know, I know that, that there are professional pollsters or professional poll takers that have signed up for all these services and they, they basically shop for the best incentive. So when the incentive is out of line with something, you know, let's say it's a hundred dollars to participate or something along those lines is that the, the, those people will go intentionally to chase that hundred dollar incentive. They'll answer the questions in a very neutral type way so that they, because really they're, 
only intention is to get through the survey so they can get the hundred dollars. But uh, but for the most part, I, I would say probably eighty five to ninety percent of the people are, are actually sharing genuinely what they think or what they believe, and and you know it's just the waiting hopefully helps with the other. 10 to 15% that's out there. But, you know, I, I, I was actually talking to a client this morning about uh, a lot of the databases that are used now to send polls to or send surveys to. They're cleaning out the, the bad actors, so to speak. And this, this group just dropped 900 of its 40,000 members because of continual bad behavior that they're tracking, watching. Um, but the privacy part, I, I with all the different PII restrictions now and some of the um, European laws, as long as people aren't trying to say, you know, I, I'm, ta- I'm a man and I'm actually taking this as a woman or something else. For the most part, the, the, the cleanup on the back end is, is pretty sophisticated and actually pretty, pretty good. Gotcha. And I mean, how can PR pros use the data to create content? Because Data can point you to content. It may not be maybe something a subset actually wants, but how can you use data to actually help you create data? F- I mean, content for your company. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it it really starts with doing some research around the secondary data that exists right now, um, and that you know there, there's so like you said there's so much data that you can find kind of what the 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 current. Um, environment is. And certainly if you look on social media, you can get a glimpse of what the sentiment is around a particular issue, both pro and and middle of the road and con. So you can get a picture of kind of where the landscape is. The second thing that, and we used to talk about this with clients all the time, was imagine you on the Today Show or, you know, in, in the Wall Street Journal or some publication seeing a headline that said, 62% 62% of X support this. And, and imagining what those headlines could be or what those those aha points, that's a good way to help develop the questions. It's a good way to develop what you want the data to say. And it's also a good practice to kind of set, you know, to, to set your expectations about what we think we're going to get back. Because regardless of how good the idea is or, or how good maybe the campaign slogans are or how good the, the the revelation is from these stories. Sometimes having 62% is actually a really, really great number. And I think sometimes we have to just, you know, accept the fact that the statistics might not align with where we think passionately about how this, uh, how this might work. Yeah. And for, I guess, PR people that work for those media companies, like you said today and everything, a lot of people do not trust the media anymore. It's been probably the lowest it's been for a very long time. So how can they get those correct data points? Because I feel like people don't miss the mistrust in your company. And this could apply to anybody could skew your data points because they mistrust you so much. So how do you get the correct ones yep. knowing that you may not be the most well-liked company? I guess the best way of saying it. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I, I think I know what you're trying to get at here, and and there's there's kind of two maybe strains of what you were talking about. The the first is that one technique that a lot of research companies use, and even PR companies do it, is that they ask the same question in different ways to get to uh, you know an idea of what it is. There's a there's a, a science called clustering, 
you know, basically where you look at how the answers cluster in different categories. So you can ask the same question five different times and get where the clusters are the strongest, meaning that 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 people a understand it, b that they can give a a, a reaction or an answer to it, um, and three from an interpretation perspective, it gives you really solid. So I you know I would say that being able to ask the question multiple times. The second is that I think from where the PR firm perspective is that you have to make certain that you are satisfying what the client wants to do. But I also think it's imperative that you say that, hey, w- when we pitch this idea, when we pitch the the potential use of, of data in certain media or, or certain different stories that we're narratives that we're building out, is that it's not always guaranteed that these are going to get picked up. And so I think setting that expectation is important. It used to be that having that data and having a, a, a major brand name that had collected that data, that was like the gold standard. And, and now that's really not the case. And, um, but, and then the, the, the last area is really thinking a little bit more out of the box around where we could place this story and in, in, in almost in a micro campaign type thing. Because um, in one regard, if you're able to do um, you know, let's say, for example, you get, you know, 2000 hits, 2000 hits, 2000 hits and 2000 hits, you know, that's 8000. Um, so it, it might be micro campaigns versus kind of a, a major, hey, we're going to bank on getting in the Wall Street Journal or something along those lines. Um, so those would be I, I will say a lot of the new media opportunities are, are helping at least get the data out into the open on any particular issue. So, you know, podcasts like PR 360 are a great way to, to, to talk about particular piece of data or a particular finding from a, a research study or from things that are going on. And, and that will snowball into some other areas. So there, I think from my standpoint, the clients are a little bit reticent about it because they, 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 under, they get it, but they don't get it. They don't understand necessarily how it works. But I do think that, that the value is starting to become very, very clear. And I think that the, the PR firms working with the client can really help facilitate that discussion or that education process. Gotcha. So what you're saying is that the client may be old school, but there are more new school yep. ways of getting your data out. Like you said, podcast, social media, doing videos on YouTube, anything else in the middle of that because of how many platforms there are now online, you could talk about data subsets with the subset of people, I guess is the best way of saying it. It, it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, I, the, the, the numbers have come down in regard to coverage as well, meaning that it used to be the gold standard was in, in order for any major news outlet to cover a survey result, um, it had to have a thousand people plus. Now those numbers are not as rigid as they used to be, so that there is additional coverage, and there are subsets like a, a group of pediatricians say this, or a group of CEOs say this, and and it it, it the, the sizes of the base for the number of people that are interviewed have have shifted. So and and shifted in terms of what media will cover that. So that is that's a good point. Gotcha, and. What is the future future of data collection? Is it more towards going towards the new media and leaning more towards that? Is it using their polling system to a certain extent? Like I said, n- nothing's perfect. Is it using a different 
mesh of different things to figure out what people are thinking. Is it going to different platforms? Is it going to new platforms that people may not want to go to, but it might be important to go to like, what, what is yeah. this feature going to be about? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll use this. Um, one of my clients from uh, a couple of years ago had 18 different data collection methods that they used. And some of it was primary, some of it was secondary. I think uh, a couple things are going to happen, you know, as you, as you pointed out. Number one is I think there is going to be a shift in where budgets are allocated for these particular different analytics services. So I think, you know, for example, almost everybody uses Google Analytics for some you know, reason. But I, I think some of those those platforms are going to continue to grow. They're going to be, continue to see spend. I do think there's going to be consolidation in those industries because there's so many different small fragmented players. So I think, um, for example, NetBase and Quid merged, and I think you'll see different data companies like that do the same thing. I think there's going to be much, much more reliance on what is called first party data. And that is data that we're able to collect as a company on different behaviors that our consumers or our customers are exhibiting. So that the value of, of that first party data is going to go up. And in some cases, I don't think organizations are, are well suited to do, number one, collect that data, but two, do anything with that data because it's it's just sometimes overwhelming and sometimes the cost. But but that's where I think a PR firm can come in and really make a difference in saying, hey, look, we know you have a data set of 2 million people or 2 million customers or whatever it would be. Let us take that data. Let us mine it. Let us look at the media behaviors. Let us look at what different other aspects of the behavioral data that's in here and then come back to you and say, hey, look, here's a way we can talk about earned. We can talk about uh, paid media, you know, and and really come up with a new schematic. I think that's where the real future of this is, is that it, it is rather than looking at each one of these data sets as a separate entity, there's going to be more melding of those of those data sets and more connecting of the dots. You know, and it's kind of it kind of reminds me of back in the late 70s, early 80s, maybe and even early 90s when the whole econometrics industry blossomed and and it's the same i think it's we're in the same same spot right now is that there're going to be people who can put that data together piece it together and and really start telling different stories and but more importantly i think start revealing some things that that really are are very different and i'll i'll use this example last year uh when i was working with a couple different polling companies on some projects we were detecting already then both mental health issues that were showing up in surveys, but also an, a level of sentiment and frustration and anger that was that were coming up in responses as well. And and that being able to pick up on those things early, or being able to pick up on shifts in sentiment early, that's you know I, I, that's going to be hopefully where the PR firms are going to add a huge amount of value to their clients. Um, it's, it's just being, being able to spot and see those, those things quickly. So almost like sediment sensing is the best way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think it's, it's interesting, or and I probably should maybe include this as well. I think one of the shifts is going to be that, and you mentioned it earlier, is that, there's going to be more focus and maybe more reliance on 
what we would call qualitative data, where it's actually words versus a, a particular scale or score, where we want to know why this is happening versus what is happening so that, that you know, you're going to start relying more on contextual data, which is somebody making a comment or somebody writing in a comment or that, that there's going to be, um, you know, some longer verbatim of, of, of that sentiment. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. What one poll question or maybe poll like fundamentals would you like to get rid of or eliminate or just is terrible? And you're like, I hate this. Get rid of it. Uh, Stop it. Oh, that's a great question. The one that really drives me crazy is when I get a survey from whatever company that I've, I've, I've visited is whether my visit this time would prohibit me or invite me to recommend it to somebody else. The recommendation question is, is fine, but and I'm, I'm sure I'm like you, Brett, is that you know if I visit the same dry cleaner all the time, or if I go to the same Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, is that that habitual, I mean, I'm not going to change that. So my one visit is not going to be in, is not going to influence me to go tell 10 of my friends that um, I recommend, you know, so-and-so or this Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. But, but that question keeps popping up because again, it's, it, I'm not sure there's any value to that anymore, quite frankly. So that's the one that drives me crazy the most. And I think if you're just really upset about your one visit, you're going to say no anyways. And if you just, yep. if you just went and it, there was nothing special, you would say, I, I don't care. Yep. I think one of the things that people are starting to wake up to, and and you know this very well, is that if you, again, if you ask a bad question, you're going to get a bad answer. And if you're not really, if if you're not updating or being more modern about your approach to collecting data, all you're doing is just preserving a trend that doesn't necessarily mean anything post-COVID. And so it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And the other thing too, is, is you're pissing people off who would be taking your surveys. So, it, you know, you, you, you kind of lose on all three fronts. I think it's being open to changing your questions. Cause I think a lot of times, and this just maybe me, it's just, it's just laziness of like, we don't want to change our question. Like the, did you like your visit? It's like, well, I didn't hate it at the time, but why would I recommend this? You haven't done anything great for me. What's in it for me, basically? <laughs> right, right. And, and, and you know this, I, I think, you know, people have been so over-surveyed and they've been so conditioned because they've seen so many different surveys is that when they get a bad question like that, they're usually not in a great mindset <laughs> about it. It's like, this is a waste of time or they'll bail out or they'll do something else. And, you know, and I, I think, we owe it to the people that are we're asking to to take their time to do this to give them more substantive and thought provoking questions. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? One is I think that as the evolution of of data collection and surveying and polling change, one is be flexible. Two is as you mentioned, set aside some budget to do some experimentation on a couple things where you know it might be a quick poll, it might be something where but but try some new methods. Um, Third is that simple math is fine, but the complexity of some of these data sets does not lend itself to simple math. So don't get into, well, we had 500 responses and, you know, 250 this and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's oversimplification of that, of something that's that complex. 
or fourth is, I guess, be curious. There's just so much really, really good and rich information that's coming out of this data that is just unused or not exploited enough. And 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 it, there's some great, great stories there that that I think if we spent some time uncovering them would be really, really a smash hits for for the clients. All right. Thank you, Peter, for joining PR360 and sharing knowledge on data and data collection. No, thank you, Brad. You too. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. And let us know how we're doing. And join me next week as I talk with another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to writing better questions and understanding your data. And see you next week. Later.